Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Crime Ghoul, a true crime podcast where I'm your host, Brittany. And as always, I'm here to bring you all things true crime. So it's been a while. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I'm so excited. For those of you who are new listeners, On my podcast, I like to cover cases that aren't so well-known, cases that aren't so popular. Don't get me wrong, every now and then I delve into popular cases that have been heavily covered, but for the most part, I like to stick to crimes that, you know, need some more light shed on them, if you will. So today's episode is coming all the way from the United Kingdom. That's right, Plymouth. That's a place in the UK. I'm surprised it took me so long to hear about this case, but nonetheless, I heard about it and now I need to tell you about it because I'm sure if I haven't heard of it, there's probably a good amount of us who haven't. So super excited to go over this. I do want to let everybody know that when I retell these cases, I like to handle them with all of the respect possible. I know that some podcasts aren't so keen on sharing all the factual information that has to go along with these true crime cases. However, for me personally, I believe that in order to understand a case in totality, we have to hear it in its entirety, if that makes sense. So I do share some factual information that could be very triggering or very upsetting to some listeners and I totally understand that this just might not be a place for you and that's okay. There's plenty of other podcasts that cover true crime cases that don't touch base on all of the factual information but here I do talk about it so just a warning you've been warned you could turn around now but if you want to stick around you're more than welcome to join. So that's right I'm taking us to Plymouth in the United Kingdom So without further ado, let's just jump right into it because let's be honest, we're all here for some true crime. We don't need to hear me babbling for a million years. So you know the drill. Go brew yourself a cup of coffee, pour yourself a glass of wine, or perhaps take a shot of whiskey because as always, these cases are not for the faint of heart. Thank you so much for listening. It happened so suddenly, and it happened in the most normal of places. For 18-year-old Bobby Ann McLeod, it happened at a place that was heavily interwoven into her everyday life, which just makes it even scarier. You see, Bobby was an unsuspecting victim on the evening of November 20th, 2021. It was around 5.45 p.m. when she was heading out of her house, but before then, she was having a little bit of trouble. She was trying to find that perfect pair of shoes. And I know we've all been there where we're just trying to complete our outfit. You know, it's just that last cherry on top. But unfortunately, she was having a really hard time finding a very specific pair of shoes. And that is literally the story of my life. I don't know where I keep anything. It just disappears into the black hole, the abyss. I don't know where it goes. But basically, that's what she was experiencing. She's trying to find this pair of shoes. And she would have caught an earlier bus had she found them. But unfortunately, she didn't find those shoes. So it was the Nike white trainers she settled for. And I mean, they look just as cute. Okay, it was a cute outfit. So that's fine. So she's ready to head out for the night. And she's passing the the living room going to walk outside. She sees her dad says, I love you. 
And, you know, of course, he says, I love you back. And by then, it's around six o'clock, maybe, the sun had set. And she was trying to make the 625 bus. That was the goal here. There was an icy chill in the air that night, and it's that kind of air you breathe, you know, that just cools your lungs and drills all the way down to the bones. Like, it just reminds me of a nice, cold October night in New York. Like, that's what I think of, like, that cold. Um, but that's what she was feeling as she walked down the street to a bus stop. And mind you, she left her home on Millwood Drive, which was only four minutes away from this bus stop. So people were talking about a very, very quick walk, okay? Very close to home. So Bobby set out that night, feet hitting the pavement as she walked to the bus stop. You see, that day had been really long for her because she had actually been in court testifying against someone who used to be her friend. And the long story short, people, back in 2020, Bobby and a family member had been assaulted by a friend. Bobby intervened in this argument. She got right in the middle of her friend and her family member, and she was like trying to break it up, but her friend reacted not so well and bit her wrist and bit her ankle. So it took about a year to make it to court, but nonetheless, they made it. So I believe like the assault happened in like, I want to say like December of 2020. Yeah, I could be wrong. Don't quote me on that. Don't come for me. Regardless, all you need to know is that this was like, an incident that occurred about a year prior, okay? So that's really what she did that day. And what do you have it? That girl was found guilty for assault. So Bobby had a bit of a day. So maybe that night she wanted to let out some steam. After all, like, what cures stress better than going to hang out with your friends and your partner? Bobby had actually been um, dating a guy named Louis Leach for about six months, and man, had it been good. They were like two peas in a pod, getting along so well, falling in love. It was beautiful. So that night, she planned to set out um, set out to Plymouth City Center. She was from Liam, which is also in the United Kingdom. I'm a little confused with how geography works there. It is what it is. Yes, I'm American. You can come for me. It's fine. Regardless, she was from Liam and she was traveling to Plymouth City Center to go see her friends and her boyfriend and they were going to hang out. You know, there's places to eat, so much to do in a city center, you know, like 18 years old. I'm not positive of what the drinking age is, but whatever. They were going to have a good time. So with her brown straight shoulder length hair, her green eyes, she had really nice piercings in her ears and she was just this petite, tiny girl standing at just 4'11". So Bobby Ann was like really, really pretty, really cute, tiny. She got caught the attention of so many people, even that night, passerbyers that were either walking by, driving by, they recognized Bobby's good looks. But some of them noticed her because of her height and her young face. She had that very youthful look. She could honestly probably pass for 16. And a stranger would later say that he was driving by and he wondered if she was okay all by herself on her own. But quickly, that thought left his mind as he made his way to his own destination. He just kept driving, but the thought did go through his mind. So mind you, it's a really cold night, a little drizzly. It's dark already because it is November. The sun is set, set and Bobby's on her own at this point. She left the house wearing a gray Nike jumper, blue ripped jeans, fishnet tights, and white Nike trainers. 
And I mean, the night, the outfit, the vibes, it just feels like really familiar to me, you know, being like 18, all of that good stuff, falling in love, going to meet up with your friends, like Bobby Ann was in a good place. She had plans too, like for her future. She was going to be an interior designer. She had the support of her family, great friends, an awesome boyfriend. She had everything to live for. And it's just so crazy that you or I, anyone, someone could just have everything and life could be going really well. And then someone else could just come around and steal it from you, take everything that you have away from you. And the worst part, you might not even know it's coming. So Bobby walked up to the well-lit bus stop. Mind you, there were lights everywhere, street lights. It was very well lit. And the stop was kind of like on a hill. It was a little elevated. It wasn't on flat ground. So it was kind of cool because if you look to your left, you could see the city lights of Plymouth City Center. So pretty cool stuff on top of this sort of hill. So Bobby's just waiting there at this point. She pulls out her phone and the glow of the device is just on her pretty face. She's swiping through her apps and finds Snapchat and she snaps a picture of her shoes and made note of how cold she was that night and she sent that picture to friends. So she's waiting for the bus to come and for the relief of the warmth inside of the bus to save her from the cold because it was freezing. So I'm sure it was running through her mind that it was damn cold outside. Where's this freaking bus? When is it coming? I just want to be with my friends. I want to see everyone, you know, just waiting. So she was probably still looking at her phone, trying to distract herself with whatever was on social media. And then it happened. Something hard crashed over her skull. And like, what could it be? What, what happened? Did she even realize what happened? Probably not because it was really quick and she fell to the ground. As she met the pavement, her eyes locked with someone else's. So we're going to fast forward for a second. It's around nine o'clock. Louis Leach is starting to get worried. He's like, where's my girlfriend? Where is she? You know, I'm sure he's talking amongst his friends and they're all like, you know, when was the last time you spoke to Bobby? Has anyone heard from her? She should have been here by now. Like, what the heck's going on? Like, oh, did you see that Snapchat? Yeah, I got that too. That was that was a while ago. So Louis decides, that's it. I've had enough. It's time to call the McLeod residence and get in touch with Bobby's parents and see what's going on. Like, maybe something happened. So he nervously called the McLeods and it was like, you know, Bobby hasn't arrived yet. Do you know like where she is? Is everything okay? And Mrs. McLeod, Donna, Donna McLeod goes, what do you mean she's not there? Like she left around six o'clock to make the 623 bus. Like, what do you mean? So obviously this is not good. Not good at all. And everyone's trying to call her phone at this point. The phone's ringing. It's going to voicemail. And this just was not like Bobby. So Mrs. McLeod thought it was weird because she had texted her daughter earlier that night. Around 7.15, she asked Bobby like if she made it to her destination okay, and Bobby didn't answer. And she was nervous. She had that mama, mama bear gut feeling, but she figured, you know, Bobby's probably just having fun with her friends. She's just forgetting to check in. Like, I'm not going to be paranoid. I'm not going to be overbearing. She's probably just having a good time. And unfortunately that was not the case 
So now that Louie was calling just past nine, Mrs. McLeod knew that something was absolutely not okay. And she had that horrible feeling in her gut. She knew something was wrong. Bobby always answered the phone. So she hangs up with Louie and immediately calls the police. And she explains to them what's going on and how this is a normal. She went to the bus stop. She had a destination. She had plans. Like, she's not there. Like, this isn't okay. So all of them, right off the bat, when they find out that Bobby never arrived to her destination, everyone's, like, ready to go, like, figure out where she is. Like, there is no time wasted. Bobby's big brother, Lee, he actually jumps in his car and immediately goes to look for her, searching the neighborhood, texting people, calling people. He even goes to Facebook and starts, like, you know, asking people, like, hey, has anybody heard from Bobby? Like, what's going on? Like, no time was wasted. But unfortunately, the McLeod family would never reach Bobby that night. Her friends would never reach her. Bobby's phone was actually found laying on the ground by a young man. So it was just about to be 623. The bus is coming and this younger guy walks up to the bus stop and he kicks something and he looks down and it's a phone and an empty AirPod case. So if you've ever lost your phone, okay, I can't speak about AirPods. I don't have them. Um, But if you ever lost your phone or anything like that, you know how shitty that feeling is. Like that panic, like, oh my God, like you got to be kidding me. So this guy felt that. He empathized with it. He wanted to get the phone back to its owner. So the bus is pulling up and he hands the phone to the driver and he felt that he did a good deed. He was hopeful that the phone was going to be returned to its worried owner. But that wouldn't happen. So let's pump the brakes a little bit and rewind. So Bobby was just struck on the head. It happened fast. It was shocking. And I could only imagine the confusion she had felt. She fell to the pavement and her green eyes met the dark eyes of this handsome man. You know, has to be in his 20s, like not not old, older than her, maybe. Maybe they were the same age. Who knows? Looking at him, she had to be just so freaking confused. The guy had a claw hammer, and with one swift strike, he hits her in the head again. I just, I, I just can't even imagine like the confusion there, because um, it, it had to be like profound. And I'll get to that in a few seconds, but I, I just can't. So Bobby Ann is on the ground, and she had just been bashed in the head twice by 24-year-old Cody Ackland a maniac with a claw hammer. Okay, not good. Terrifying. And the rest of what I'm going to tell you, like as I explain this case to you, is really based off of only one perspective we have, and that's of Cody's. So going forward, just with whatever his perspective is, make of it what you will. Who knows how true it is? Who knows? I'm sure there's stuff missing. But basically, I'm going to try to describe what Cody looks like. And if you've watched you and you know who Joe Goldberg is, the main character, Cody kind of reminds me of Joe. Maybe a little more good looking. I guess it depends. Um, I hate to throw out his looks, but um, this has been noted by so many people who are familiar with this case that just looking at him really screws with your head because, you know, you think of these monsters that live under your bed, live in the closet, um, really creepy people like the toy box killer like ugly scary like I don't know like 
that's what you think of. That's what you think is lurking in the dark that's going to come get you. Not this 24-year-old guy that has really nice facial hair and is good looking. Like, no, you don't. I hate to be like that person and sound shallow, but it's just true. And God honest opinion, when I first saw him, I was like, what in that? Like, I was shocked. Shocked. I hate to say it, but I said it because it's just my, my truth, my honesty. So there you have it. Anyway, that's Cody. Kind of looks like Joe Goldberg, whatever. So that night, Cody left his house and he was quote unquote wound up. Okay. I need you to understand that this isn't like the type of wound up like you or I might feel. Um, This is like the type of bothered or annoyed feeling that maybe you and I have never felt before. And I hope I never experience anything like this because something sinister was brewing inside of Cody Ackland. And it was brewing for a long time. It was something very dark and terrifying. So for that, my friends, I think we're really lucky that we don't ever experience anything like this. But he was wound up. So Cody jumped into his red Ford Fiesta and he set out for a drive. Apparently he was annoyed because of something that happened with a girlfriend. Like, I don't know if he was broken up with. I don't have all the details. I don't think anywhere online really does. We just know something happened with a girl. So he's driving, he's annoyed. And during his drive, he notices a bus stop because he cuts through Liam. He planned to go to Plymouth City Center and just drive around. And he cuts through Liam and he notices the bus stop. And standing in the glow of the pullout is this tiny girl. And from what he could see, she was probably in her teens and she was pretty. Actually, she resembled Cody's past girlfriends and he felt something about her. There was a pull and he had to do it. It had been building up for a long time. So it was happening. So Cody drove past the girl and he pulled up behind the stop. The stop was on this slightly elevated hill and he parked at the bottom along the grass. And after he jumps out of the car, he immediately goes to the back and he pulls out a claw hammer. It was happening and she had no idea. So Cody walks up behind this tiny girl and with a hard strike, he slammed her in the head and she immediately fell to the ground. His brown eyes met her green eyes and he hit her again and he hit her hard and left her there. So he walks back to his car down that hill and he looks back at the girl and shit, she's moving. He can't have this. So he jumps in the car and he drives up to the front of the stop and he puts his jacket over her. She's got blood coming out of her head and he wraps her in his jacket and stuffs her into the footwell of his car and he must have been like shit 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 i have not thought this far ahead or had he had he thought far ahead i don't know i'll leave that up to you and so he squeezes her in the foot well and man she fit really well because she was so tiny so at this time he gets back into his car in the driver's seat and bobby is there in the foot well and she's semi-conscious she knew what was going on And I can't imagine what was going through her mind. It was probably a lot of, what the fuck? Pure terror? I don't know. I can't speak for her, but I could imagine what I'd be thinking. And I would probably be thinking, he's gonna fucking kill me. What if no one ever finds me? My friends and family have no idea where I am. 
and they don't know why I'm not answering them. Do they even know I'm missing yet? So I'm sure that was some of the things going through her mind, or maybe nothing at all. Maybe it was pure shock. And I wonder if Bobby said anything to Cody during that car ride, or if he spoke to her or anything. We don't really know. But Cody drives 19 miles to a place called Belliver Park. And if I'm pronouncing that wrong, I'm sorry. But Belliver Park, and he parks his car, and no one's around. It's dark, and he tries to strangle Bobby Ann. But it wasn't working. It didn't work. In a frenzied attack, he takes the hammer and continuously hits Bobby in the face and the head. But Bobby was a fighter, and she was not giving up. So, my friends, what follows is beyond depravity, 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 sorry, but it's beyond horrific. That's the point here, okay? It's really just grotesque. So, I don't know. There's really no words. And as, like, I'm about to talk about it, like, I just, uh, like, I feel so, like, shook. Um, I feel really upset about this. So, this is basically what happens after he drives to another location, Bondesan Beach, and when he gets there, he doesn't actually drive to the beach. He drives to this, like, foresty, woodsy area, and he has Bobby get out of the car. She's able to walk, but she's beat up, like, really bad. And obviously, if she's able to stand, she's pretty conscious. She had some trouble, though, and Cody balanced her and kept her propped up. And she wobbly walked into the woods as she was directed. So Bobby actually turns to Cody and says, I'm scared. And he gives a very selfish, cold reply. I am too. I've never done this. So take that in, okay? I am too. I've never done this. I, I don't know. I don't know. I have no words. The girl is explaining to him that she's scared. She is scared of the situation. She's scared of him. She's scared of dying. And he goes, yeah, me too. Me too. Me too, kid. I'm scared too. Never killed anybody before. I, I don't know. That It just goes to show the disconnect there. Like, the, what? where's the humanity? It's just not there. Like, it's not. It's not there. So he continues walking her into the woods like some kind of freaking death march. And he hits her again. And she lays on the ground because she's probably really tired by now. It had been three hours since he initially struck her at the bus stop. Okay, so just to give you an idea. But she was still fighting. And then in an act so inhumane and so horrifying, Cody stood on her neck. He was trying to suffocate her. And then he decided to stomp on her throat until she died. Bobby Ann had 14 lacerations to the head and face and now a crushed neck as well. I just can't believe that some human beings are capable of such horrifying acts. But they are. They really are. So after Cody was done, he burned Bobby's purse and some items from the car, including his jacket that he used to cover her. And then he dragged Bobby through the woods. He dragged her to the spot that was overlooking the bay. And there was glistening water in the distance, the moon shining overhead. And he took this serene, beautiful place and just made it deadening. 
Cody then took off all of Bobby's clothes, and she was so cold that night, you know. So the thought of him removing the warmth from her is just sickening. But he did it. He also removed her jewelry, and then he pushed her down an embankment. By around 9 o'clock that night, Cody returned to his car. He drove home, hopped into his warm bed, and he went to sleep. How cozy. All the while, Bobby Ann is laying beneath the moon amongst the dirt, the woodland, stripped of her clothes and stripped of her life. So back to the McLeod family, that night felt absolutely hopeless for them. And as I mentioned before, Mrs. McLeod had phoned the police to report Bobby is missing. So it turns out that at the same time she made that call, Cody had just arrived back home. So Bobby Ann was already dead. Mr. McLeod ruminated over the final words that Bobby spoke to him. I love you. The not knowing where their daughter and sister was, girlfriend, friend was, was tormenting. Everyone wanted to know where Bobby Ann was. You know, maybe something came up and she was just taking care of it. It had to be something important. But the frightened part of her loved one's guts told them otherwise. They knew something was wrong. But hope is really strong and it's what keeps all of us going. And because of that, they continued their search and they called family and friends nonstop. I doubt there was any sleep for them. By 3.25 a.m., Bobby's phone started going straight to voicemail because the battery had died. Bobby's brother Lee took to social media begging begging and pleading with people to please help find his sister and everyone was really trying their best to locate bobby into the late late um hours of the morning or early early hours of the morning so you know the next day would come and the sun would rise and the world continued on and cody made his way to tamerton foliot where he dumped the hammer that he used to kill bobby into a river then he drove to another nearby river where he dumped a bag full of his and Bobby's bloodstained clothes. And after that, he went to hang out with friends because he's a freaking weirdo, a freak. Sorry, you are, you are. And then on top of all of that, he fucking drove his friend around in his car. Like, mind you, he cleaned his car, like whatever, but he had just killed somebody. He just killed someone and bashed her head in with a hammer and tortured this beautiful poor girl in his car and now he's driving his friend around like excuse me I, I just I don't know but whatever if I were that friend and when I found out that information I probably would have yacked everywhere like a million times and I don't know I don't know what I would have done but it's just all really messed up it really is and the worst part you know what his friends noticed about that day, the 21st? That Cody seemed more chipper than usual. He seemed more jolly. He was just really happy. And they had even asked him, you know, like, what is it with you? Like, why are you so happy today? Because they knew him to be a person who struggled with his demons and was kind of more on the quiet reserve side, unless they were getting ready to go do a show. Um, he was part of a band called Rakuda. And they performed live at some pubs, you know, in Plymouth City Center and around town or whatever. So his friends noted that the only time they really ever saw him this, like, happy was when he was getting ready to play a show. So just think about that. 
So by 10 p.m. on the 21st, police had a full-blown search for Bobby. They, by that time, they pinged her phone and they could only identify that it was somewhere in the Plymouth area, which really wasn't too helpful. It drives me nuts to know that her phone was left with that bus driver and who knows where it is at this point of the story, but obviously it's not in the police officer's hands or anything like that. It's still somewhere floating around and police just can't get a definite location of where the phone is. And also on the 21st, um, you see, it's kind of interesting. Earlier that day, this teen actually, who noticed Bobby on the 20th, he noticed that she was at the bus stop, like he was just walking by and noticed her. Um, the next day he goes to the bus stop and he ends up finding her AirPods. Yeah, her AirPods that weren't in the case that that other person found. The actual AirPods themselves he found along a path behind the bus stop. And he found a pouch of her tobacco laying in that same path. So, you know, they brought this to the police and police obviously showed Bobby's family. And based on like the tobacco baggie it was in and everything, her brother Lee was able to confirm like that's that's Bobby's tobacco. And, um, you know, they knew she had AirPods too. So there was a pretty good chance those were her AirPods. So that teen turned that into police that day. So yeah, it just really wasn't looking good. So then by the 22nd, a local search party was formed by like the, ki the community and everything. And what's sick is Cody's family was even talking about Bobby and how she was missing and how this beautiful girl was missing like how terrifying is this she was just going to the bus yeah they even shared posts from Bobby's family members on Facebook like discussing the disappearance pleading for her return all of that and that day Cody went to the movies and while he was there he was by himself he shared and saved a bunch of pictures of Bobby Ann that was circulating on Facebook to his phone like it, you, I can't, I can't, like, screw this guy, like, for real, like, just, I don't know, the audacity. So that's the 22nd, then we go to the 23rd. So by the 23rd, images were released by the press, and forensic investigators were at the bus stop, and this alarmed people, because, you know, forensics are involved, now they're, you know, they're making certain that foul play was definitely involved, and of course, I'm sure people had their suspicions, but this just really solidifies like everybody's concerns but people were also beginning to suspect that the police knew more than they were leading on and that guess would be correct because on the 23rd Cody left work that day he was a valet driver at a parking garage and he said he was going on lunch on his break and he never came back so what happened was Cody went to his car and had a beer because in his mind he knew what he was going to do within the next like a few sentences I give you here he knew that he probably wasn't going to have a beer for a really long time or it would just be the last one he ever had so he actually takes himself walks over to Charles Cross police station and he turns himself in and he walks in nonchalant wearing his highlighter yellow jacket for work arms placed behind his back mask diligently worn for COVID seeming very prim and proper and he speaks to the women, the woman at the window and explains like why he's there and that he's turning himself in for the murder of Bobby Ann McLeod. And police immediately are skeptical. But after much gruesome detail and after giving the location of where he left Bobby, 
it had become pretty certain that he definitely murdered her. So Cody's eyes apparently welled up and he stated that he came forward to help the police and to help Bobby's family. He mentioned that his family had been talking about Bobby Ann and her disappearance and it was just too close to home for him. So this really bothered him. Poor him. Like, right? I just, whatever. So he then states to police, like, listen, this murder wasn't sexual in any way. There was nothing sexually, like, I wasn't sexually motivated by this. I don't know why he just threw that on the table. He just did. And, you know, it occurs to me actually like literally right now like as I'm talking to you like I wonder like did he even know who she like who she was like when he killed her like did he ask for her name like I I, I don't know like I just wonder I don't know I guess it's just my morbid curiosity like when all of this started circulating and you know people started talking about it his family started talking about it you know like oh this girl Bobby Ann McLeod is missing like did he know that was her? I mean, he had, I'm sure, with the story of her disappearing from a bus stop. He, uh, hello, like, I'm the one who did that. Yeah, but, like, I, I guess I'm just curious if either one of them knew, you know, if they exchanged names. Like, I don't know if you do that. I don't know why I'm curious about it, but I am. But I don't know. I just hope that this all haunts him, but unfortunately, it probably does not. So, you know, he turns himself in whatever. And then police also um, released on the 23rd that day that Bobby's phone had been turned in finally. So that's when they get their hands on the phone. Of course, it hasn't been, you know, publicized that Cody turned himself in on the 23rd. Um, I'm just explaining that to you guys. Like basically all people really knew was that forensics were at the bus stop and the phone had been turned in. Nobody knew at that point that somebody had confessed and then late on the 23rd, it was then released that the body of a woman was located at Bavisan Beach, just 21 minutes away from the bus stop that Bobby was at before she disappeared. So police arrived to that location and they did find Bobby Ann naked at the bottom of the embankment. And she had numerous injuries and her, basically her beautiful face was just battered. Her, her poor, like just... Uh, I can't. Um, dental record records were needed to make an absolute identification of Bobby. And then they took Cody's car. They searched it. They found an additional hammer in the car, not the one he used, but they did find a hammer, a knife and black latex gloves. And Luminal would end up um, identifying blood splatter in the car, which would turn out to be Bobby's blood. So then on the morning of the 20. 4th, November 24th, they close off Bavisan Beach Road and, you know, they're looking around the area. And by that point, all we can really understand is that police must have, like, contacted the McLeod family and let them know because early that morning, Lee McLeod, again, that's Bobby's older brother, well, her only brother, but he makes a heartwarming tribute to his sister on Facebook confirming that Bobby and Bobby Ann was dead. So alongside a photo of the two siblings, which I've posted on my Instagram, you could go check that out. My Instagram is crimeghoul underscore, but it's a picture of the two of them. And it reads, until we meet again, sis, I love you. You didn't deserve this. Such a beautiful and talented girl. And to have you as my little sister, the adventure and journey we had been on will always be treasured. Now go rest easy. 
as the oldest sibling, I cannot imagine this. I cannot imagine po like having to be in this situation as a family member, as a friend, as, you know, a girlfriend. I just, I, I, the whole thing is just, I can't even wrap my head around it, to be honest with you. It's just very, very moving and upsetting and beautiful words, really. So pretty much Bobby's family was absolutely demolished, as you could assume. Her boyfriend, Louis Leach, destroyed Louie had actually been staying with Bobby's family since the night she had gone missing. And of course, he was questioned very thoroughly because what do we all think? Um, you know, it's the same thing as like when, you know, a wife or mother disappears, you know, oh, it's the husband. Well, same thing. Like when you're in a relationship, you immediately look at that significant other. So that had to be really, really hard on him. But, you know, the family 100% believed like he would never do anything to harm Bobby they knew how much they loved each other even though they had only been with each other for a few months like it was it was going really really freaking good so Cody Ackland thanks I can't so anyway um Louie was staying with them and together they all comforted each other in the best way that they could and Bobby really had been stolen from them so now by the 25th um you know people know um at, you know, for a few days, people were wondering, like, who did this? And at first, the police weren't saying. And at first, they said they, they had two people in custody. And a lot of people believed there were two people involved. We don't really know. I mean, I'm sure if you dig hard enough, you could figure it out. I didn't because that person's innocent. But other than Cody, there was a second person involved. So... Needless to say, Cody admitted to acting alone. The other person was found, like, not to be involved at all. So that's basically what the public knew. But by the 25th, you know, when people already knew, like, the situation and what kind of had happened, there was something called a Reclaim the Streets protest, and the community was, uh, you know, outraged. There was an uproar. They were horrified that an 18-year-old girl couldn't wait safely at a bus stop that she had used routine routinely in her life. Like, when does it stop? There had been just too much violence against women in that area, not necessarily like Liam, but like Plymouth. So people had had enough. Everybody was wearing purple in support for like violence against women. There's a lighthouse nearby. Um, Plymouth is like really close to the water. It's on the water. Um, the lighthouse in support for what happened to Bobby just lit up all purple. It was really beautiful. And people were protesting. They had enough and they were voicing, um, you know, their feelings, their opinions as they should. And yeah, so then we jumped to the 26th. And that was actually Cody's first appearance in court. And guys, the irony of this situation is just bone chilling. So remember how I mentioned how Bobby was in court um, on the 20th because of that whole like uh, assault case and everything. So it's crazy to think that just six days later, Cody Acklin would be in the same courtroom and it would be for her murder. I don't know. That really just does not sit well with me. It's freaky to think that. But also on the 26th, that night, a vigil was held at the bus stop and Mrs. McLeod spoke really highly of her beloved daughter of Bobby Ann, expressed thanks to the community for the outpouring love and support that they received. And the community really, really came together. It, it was beautiful. 
Um, you know, if there's one good thing to come out of situations like this, it's just to see like how kind people are and like all these kind people outnumber this one really bad person. And it's just, it's just nice to see that. But let's get to Cody Acklin, shall we? Um, most importantly though, Bobby Ann McLeod, her name is the most important part of this story. Okay. Um, not really Cody, but I'm also going to talk about it because, you know, he is the murderer here and we need to understand this situation. Not that there are ever, ever reasons for somebody to, you know, I mean, like excuses, I guess you should, I should say. I know I've mentioned it in some of my old episodes. Like I look to give explanations, not excuses. Like how did this person end up doing what he did? Like, how did, what happened? What's going on here? So who is Cody Acklin? Like I already said, he's 24 years old. Um, He lived not too far away from Bobby at all. And he lived with his 59-year-old mom, Helen. His parents had separated when he was younger. Um, I kind of mentioned how he was in a band. Uh, He was the lead guitarist in that, in the local indie band called Rakuda. And there are three other members of Rakuda. So a co-worker made a statement saying that Cody, well, quote unquote, Cody is a good looking lad who fancies himself as a good looking lad. It's hard to believe that he's involved in something like this. So obviously this co-worker is very taken back. He doesn't under, like, he doesn't even understand it. Like he can't believe it. Not that he doesn't understand it. He doesn't believe it. And, um, you know, he mentions that Cody's good looking. There you go. Like people, listen, this is something that strikes you. Okay. Can't help it. But, um, he's good looking, but apparently he fancies himself as a good looking lad. So maybe he was a little cocky. And then the lead singer of Rakuda actually ended up making a statement saying that the band found out about what happened when the police were searching Cody's house and they were all really shocked. Now, these people were with Cody a lot, all of the time, like his best friends, and they had no idea that Cody had this in him. They knew he struggled with like a lot of mental health um, issues that you know, he seemed to always been, be like thinking like, you know, in his head a lot, but never, never a murderer. Like who thinks that anyway? You know, like you just, you wouldn't, you wouldn't. We look back at these other, you know, killers or serial killers, murderers. And, you know, there are so many people who come out and say, oh, I would never have guessed that. Like you look at Israel Keys. Oh no, never would have guessed that. Obviously Ted Bundy never would have guessed it. Well, There you have it, folks. You just, you never truly know a person. That is like my main quote, my quote for life. If there's anything I could teach you on this podcast, you never truly know a person. Hate to tell you. I hate to tell you, but it's true. You, you just can't. You will never truly 100% know a person and it's scary. It scares me, but I digress. So with Rakuda, um, they end up you know, making a public announcement on their Instagram stating that the band was going to be basically splitting up. And then they ended up making another post, you know, um, basically they, the first post said that they were going to split up, of course, in respect to like the family and what happened to Bobby Ann. Like it just didn't feel okay to be together. And then shortly after that, they released another post that they were basically going to rebrand the band and, you know, kind of remake it, new name, new everything, which, you know, I think is fair. I don't think that these three other talented people 
should have to never perform again because of their lead guitarist being a maniac, like a killer. So I totally get it. So that's them. I don't really know too much about it. I don't really look into it. I did listen to one song out of curiosity. It was very good. They are talented dudes. So I feel bad that now they're kind of left with this shadow that is Cody Ackland. Like that sucks. So hopefully they're able to, you know, figure that situation out. But anyway, the months go by before the public are really made aware of what unfolded that fateful night in November. So details eventually trickled out and were released. So basically it was made known that Cody obsessed over infamous serial killers. So here we go. Another wannabe. We've had them before. We've had them in the past. I've covered some wannabes in the past and here you have it. Another one. So it turns out days leading up to um, the murder, he had been searching pictures of dead bodies linked to serial killers he was also researching remote nearby areas like what a freaking genius this guy is uh-huh. just kidding he also did um some online shopping and browsing as well again this idiot um he purchased a hammer sawing tools and a baseball bat or he was looking for a baseball bat whatever so yeah, he was really obsessed over infamous serial killers, and apparently, like, this obsession went on for a long time. Like, we're talking years. We're not talking, like, a recent obsession. Like, this has been something he's been very interested in. Like, us. <laughs> but we're, don't worry, we're not him, okay? Very different. Two different takes on this, okay? Um, it was also revealed that Cody had a difficult childhood and poor mental health. He was diagnosed with ADHD, dyslexia, anxiety, anxiety, oh my god, anxiety and depression, and he had been severely bullied. It was also stated and documented that at just nine years old, he contemplated suicide. He wanted to take his own life. And I know what you're thinking. Here we go with the mental health. I know. I know, people. But it's really important to know this. It is important to know um, about the mental health of, you know, someone like this. And I'm not trying to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Stereotype or stigmatize mental health. Like your girl has mental health, like struggles. I would never do that. Like I, I experience, um, you know, a lot of hardship mentally every day. Like I, I struggle with myself, my own mind. I, I, I know what some of this is like. So of course, like none of this gives any reason to hurt somebody or kill somebody. But unfortunately, you know, mental health does seem to play a role here. Like it fits into this recipe that is Cody Ackland. Um, so it, it is important that we're aware of it. Um, by no means does this mean that somebody with ADHD or dyslexia or anxiety and depression are going to kill somebody. Like I know, but it is extremely important to discuss the mental health of these individuals. So basically, how did he become a monster? You know, how did mental health factor into this? So also his father was, I think, a military man. Um, I'm not sure what part of the military or how the UK's military works. So I'm not going to pretend I know. Um, but basically, he was an army brat. Uh, he grew up moving frequently, because his dad obviously had to move around. And this wasn't a good time for him. You know, uprooting kids and moving them so frequently is pretty detrimental to their social like development, everything. It really affects it heavily. If you've been there, you know, 
and eventually his parents would get divorced and that was still while he was a child so this was this was a very um hard childhood for this kid and then not to mention he was severely bullied on top of that so we're not here to sympathize we're here to empathize if you know what i'm saying like just to understand what was going on here so apparently from like um mental health providers for Cody. It was stated that a large portion of Cody's life was overrun by depression. He hated himself. He felt worthless. He was furious at the world. And I don't know about you guys, but same. Same. Every once in a while, you know, I feel this and the upside down of my mind creeps up on me. Next thing I know, Vecna's in the dark corner of my brain. He's saying I'm worthless. You know, I hate you. You know, all this stuff. It's just me and you in here and uh, you mean nothing. And sometimes it cripples me. Okay, like that's what happens. I don't know about you guys, but um, that's uh, some depression in a nutshell and uh, maybe some anxiety. But anyway, if you didn't understand a bit of that upside down and Vecna reference, it's because you haven't watched the recent season of Stranger Things. And if you haven't, go do that like after this, because if you're looking for something to make you feel better or some comic relief, um, you know, cute nostalgia 80s-esque horror, go check that out. That season was really good. But, um, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, be foolish here. I'm just trying to, you know, bring in some comic relief here. But seriously, like if you're looking for something to brighten your mood, like go check out Stranger Things. Like, of course, there's some horror-esque stuff in there, but it's it it's good feeling too. Like it's ha- it has happy moments. But anyway, sorry. Here we go. Back on track, Brittany. Um, so yeah, I know what it's like to struggle with depression and anxiety. I'm sure a lot of you know too. So this is basically what this kid was going through, and apparently this was all of his life. So what I'm trying to really get at here, though, is that a lot of us have felt this way. A lot of us have also been bullied. Um, Maybe some of us come from poverty, um, families that aren't so great. So what makes us different? What gives us that slither of humanity that saves us from becoming this? Um you know, what is that piece that Cody Ackland was missing? I don't know. I don't think any of us know. I want to know. I could kind of tell you my take on it. You know, I'm not a religious person, but I tend to feel that I am spiritual, kind of. Yeah. So to me, the idea of the soul is like very fascinating and it's really important. So the word psychology actually means study of the soul. So you know, to me, you can't really explain the soul. I feel like it's kind of hard to put it into words. It's more of like this knowing. And it can be described as something like, um, well, it can't be described as something physical, like our brain or some other organs, but it's there. It's this like essence of who we are. And in this case, I think some souls are damaged and some are broken beyond repair. And I think that's kind of where this missing piece, like, how this happens it's just like broken like there's just a piece that's gone there's no resilience there's no strength and there's nothingness and that is Cody like that's Cody Ackland like I hate to say that but you know when you commit such an atrocious act like where is it coming from so these people with this missing piece or like this just broken dark damaged soul these are the Bundys of the world this is the Salvador Ramos of the world the guy with um 
the Uvalde shooting. Like this is there's something that they are lacking that we have, and it's terrifying. And I think that's what makes true crime so interesting, and why we a lot of us are just drawn to it because we want to know like what is it? What is it? So many people have these shitty upbringings, shitty lives, shitty situations, and you don't see them becoming murderers. So there's definitely something twisted, demented in the soul of, you know, a killer like Cody Acklin. And that's that. Anyway, I'd love to hear your opinions on this and what your thoughts are. Definitely, you know, leave me a comment. Sorry if this was just like a random rant, but um, hey, you decided to listen, right? So that night that Cody set out, he was angry and he was pissed off. He claims it was like over a recent breakup, something with a girl. He was wound up. And like I said, you know, the day after killing Bobby, his friends noted that he was chatty, happy, whatever. Cody would later explain that killing Bobby Ann relieved him of his depression. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, that's what he said. And that that's terrifying human people. Like, that's not good. Um, people like this go on to kill more people because this relief he speaks of, it doesn't last for long. No, you need something else to continue feeling this way. And that's what leads to like a serial killer. So very scary. And to me, like these people are just unworldly. Like I know they're human, but it feels like they come from like a different place, maybe a different dimension. Um, like they just weren't really supposed to end up here on our earth. It kind of was an accident. I don't know how to explain that, but that's just my thought. Like it just doesn't, it just feels weird. Like how, that they're human. I don't know. Anyone, anyone um, agree, disagree? Anyway, so Cody would go on to give a horrifying and harrowing um, recount of what he did to Bobby Ann. And, you know, while describing it, he was making like comical light of it. Like he thought it was amusing. And that's just another reason why this man is just not okay and terrifying. And while explaining this whole situation, he said it felt very surreal, all of it, like someone else was killing Bobby Ann and that he was watching. And I don't know about you guys, but come on, this sounds a little bit like last night in Soho where the girl is like dreaming and she's watching like a murder play out. Like that's the vibes I'm getting here. And if you don't get that reference, go watch last night in Soho. You know, I'm giving you all this good content to watch. You're welcome. But it was quite good. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's what he said. It was kind of like this out of body experience for him. I don't know. And then he goes on to say that um, he was surprised at how long it took her to pass away. And this was the quote, quote unquote, it's not funny, but she started to make a noise. And I thought, fucking hell, hats off to you. Hats off. To I don't know this man. Good luck in prison, man. You know, I think the I think the only reason this man is good looking or was born good looking was just so once he gets to prison, you know, they they can take care of him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I hate to say that, but honey, you're, you're a wretched human. It like, it just makes my skin crawl. Like, how could you say that? How could you say that? And the poor family had to read that. So after police went through Cody's phone, they discovered 3,216 images of quote unquote, disturbing and dark subject matter from horror films and also autopsies, like real autopsies. So um, 
a mental health professional, would go on to say that Cody's interest in the macabre shows a deep-rooted fascination in death. He also had pictures of dead bodies, men, women, and children, and numerous images of serial killers. He also had police appeals for the victims and the weapons used to kill victims. So I know most notably he did have a picture of Bundy's kill kit. So he was just hoarding all of these really disturbing pictures and who knows, getting off on them, romanticizing them, imagining what he'd be one day. I don't know. But it's just disturbing. And of, of course, as you guys could probably guess, Cody ends up taking no accountability for what he did. He tried blaming everybody else. He blamed up, blamed his like fucked up nature on everyone else. You know, my parents got me no help, which um, clearly they did because he did see a psychologist. I mean, maybe they could have done better. I don't know. But he said, oh, my parents didn't get me help. You know, it's my parents fault. Um, if I got more help, maybe things would be different. I'm just angry if I didn't have to move around. Like, you know, blah, 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 blah. All this stuff. Blame, 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 blame. Stop. Cut it out. Like, stop. Okay? Because, um, again, like you or I or so many people, we've experienced hardship and we don't go out and kill people. Okay? Again, that's the moral of the story here. I can't really teach much here. You know, I feel like sometimes there's, like, really good things you can learn you know, while reading like true crime. But here there's nothing to learn. Like this is, I think the only thing we could learn is that A, you never truly know a person. And B, it it just doesn't matter where you are. Like something terrifying like this could happen. And I don't want to scare anybody, but you know, it's just important to be aware of that. Um, it makes me think of when I was um, commuting to school in Brooklyn from where I live, which is a heavy commute. And I just remember my family members being like, no, you're getting on the train at night. Like, that's so scary. Like, I don't want you walking through that parking lot. I'm like, nah, nah, nah. It's well lit. There's lights everywhere. You know, there will be people getting off the train. I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, you know, like I count my blessings every day. Like I just am much more appreciative at the fact that, you know, I got lucky. Like I, I, and I, um, was safe and it's just really important to know that things like this could just happen in your everyday life and you don't know it's coming you don't you don't expect it to happen and that's what makes this so scary and the fact that this guy literally had no motive in killing her he was just wound up and had a hard life um like that's scary because there's a lot of people who are wound up and have a hard life so I think that just makes it more terrifying is a lack of motive and just the lack of humanity in this guy. So on May 19th um, of this year, 2022, that was kind of like the last um, day in court for Cody. So Donna McLeod actually makes a victim impact statement and it reads, Bobby Ann was kind, loving, loyal. She had so many life plans and everyone who met her loved her. She wanted to get a degree and become an interior designer. She had applied for a driving license and opened her first banking account, Stepping Stones in Life. Her last words to tell her dad, love you. He will never see, oh, I'm sorry. We will never see her beautiful face again unless we see a picture. We have not been able to say goodbye and we can only remember the awful things you've done to her. Bobby Ann was so loved. To know her final hours were spent being tortured kills us inside. Not being there for her and able to comfort her makes us feel like we have failed her. 
Every new day is a reminder of what you took away, and we wish we don't feel anymore and wake up from a nightmare to a room full of people and Bobby Ann telling her stories. Bobby Ann's room is still how it was. It's hard to open the door. Nothing the justice system can impose on you is enough. And we ask ourselves why. Why you did what you did. Why you threw her away like rubbish. That was the statement. So during this time in court, multiple family members of Bobby Ann were sobbing. One member was sobbing so bad that he had to be escorted out of the room um, while they read like the sentencing. It was re- it's really sad. But all the while you have Cody sitting there with his face co- like covered by his hand. Like at least show your face like enough. I just very I'm sorry, everybody. I'm wound up, I guess. So the judge ruled Bobby Ann was just 18 when on November 20th, you encountered her at a bus stop in Liam. She had the whole of her life in front of her until it was brutally and savagely snuffed out by you. She was a much-loved daughter and sister and a well-liked friend to many. She was the light of the family home, loving, loyal, and the best daughter her parents could have. Her family struggled to comprehend a future without her. He went on to describe how evidence disclosed um, that Cody had a quote-unquote worrying and disturbing interest in serial killers. He spoke of images on Cody's phone, including pictures of bodies post-mortem, serial killers, and then he goes on to say, quote-unquote, I'm satisfied your interest in the material went beyond morbid fascination. The judge also added that Cody was actively looking for tools that could be used to kill and dispose of a body, and that his search history included evidence of him searching remote and wooded areas on Dartmoor, which is like around the beach I mentioned. So the judge said that he was satisfied that Cody was planning to kill that night. He added, I cannot be satisfied you drove into Plymouth to kill that night, but it was only going to be a matter of time. He described the murder as a determined savagery and that Cody delivered blows intent on killing. He also said, you put her into the car unconscious and bleeding heavily. You could have stopped and took her to the hospital. You would have been in trouble, but not this trouble. And Bobby Ann could have lived. He also mentioned that in the car, you tried to strangle the life out of her, but you failed. The judge then mentions how Cody's recount of how he killed Bobby was just chilling. And he also went on to explain that the search for Bobby was so extensive, so large. There were so many people helping that it would have been impossible for anyone in Plymouth not to be aware that a girl named Bobby Ann was missing. That's how many people cared and that's how many people turned out for her. The judge then sentenced Cody to life in prison with a minimum term of 31 years time. And he added that there's a strong possibility that Cody will never be released. Now, I know a lot of people have feelings about how sentencing works in the UK. Um, For me, like, I would be much happier knowing that he has life in prison without the possibility of parole or the death penalty. Sorry, everybody. Like, if there's anyone out there who's against it, I'm sorry. But for reasons like this, this is why I'm for it. Um, I could see why people would be against it. And I'm here to welcome discussion about it. That's fine. 
I, I don't judge. But um, personally, just personally, that's how I feel. But anyway, um, the judge went on to say that he didn't know how Bobby Ann's family and friends um, contained themselves during that time because they did. They did a really good job at not freaking out. So the sentencing is complete and Cody's being escorted out. Um, you know, when there's people now from like the, uh, the courtroom, like screaming at him, like you're a murderer, other profanities. And even, um, Lee McLeod made a statement, which, um, I'll say, uh, basically he said, you're a dead man and you're a dirty see you next Tuesday. If you know what I'm saying, if you don't know what a see you next Tuesday is, look it up. Okay. I think we can all put two and two together. If not, it's okay. It's okay. You can DM me. It's fine. But anyway, that's what he said. You know, you're a dead man and you're dirty. See you next Tuesday. So, Cody tries to make himself seem like an okay person. You know, like he's sentenced, like whatever. But he really tries to make it seem like this isn't a big deal. Like, that's how I feel. Like, to him, it's not a big deal. And I don't think he understands how wrong he is. And it's just bewildering to me. But he tries to make it known, like, that this is his biggest thing, is to make it known that um, he turned himself in for Bobby and her family, which is just a crock of shit. No, you didn't. You did because your family found out and it bothered you. That's what I think. Um, and I think he just wanted to talk about it, like, really badly. And he couldn't. He couldn't share with anybody why he was really happy unless he turned himself in. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's my guess. And then also, on top of that, he just keeps stressing that this wasn't a sexual crime. Like, just let it go. I don't know. Just stop. I don't know. Like, I just... Nobody wants to hear from you at this point. Like, that's how I feel. I mean, it's important for us to know these things, but just... Uh, just give it a rest, man. Like, just... I don't know. I don't know. Let the experts talk about it. I don't need to hear you. If that makes sense. I don't know. I'm, I'm just bitter. It's okay. He also says that he never planned on killing her, and... um that that bothers me because like I mean yeah maybe you didn't specifically plan to kill her um it just so happened that he came across Bobby Ann and picked her but he definitely planned on killing someone and unfortunately he picked Bobby and if it wasn't Bobby it definitely would have been someone else and you know I feel that because of all the stuff that was in his car his search history of course the stuff on his phone what have you and you know I think somebody mentioned to him, it was like a cop or something, was just like, you know, why do you have a claw hammer in your, like, your trunk? You don't, you work in a band and you work as a valet, like, car driver. What do you need tools for? Like, what do you need that for? And he was just like, oh, you know, if I get any dents in my car, I could just bang it out. You really thought about that one, huh? Like, he's just, shut up. No, you don't. No, you don't. There's no dents on that car. Like, he has to prep for something. I don't know. But... I think he definitely was out for blood that night. You could let me know what you think. Um, you know, again, the conversations really happen on Instagram. So you could head over there or I do have a Facebook and Twitter. So um, Instagram and Twitter is crime ghoul underscore Facebook. Just look up crime ghoul and you'll find me. But yeah, so it also bothers me thinking that, you know, what would have happened had Bobby Ann um, found those shoes she was looking for, you know, like, and she made that earlier bus. And it just drives me crazy when I think about these things. I'm sure her family thinks about stuff like this. And it just didn't turn out that way. Um, but I can't help but thinking about it. 
So Cody's the type of person that serial killers are made of 100%, especially after saying that killing her like relieved his depression. Like that's a terrifying thing to say. And I kind of mentioned this, but he's, he would feel that urge and desire to kill again. I'm sure he'll feel it in prison. And especially when that creeping depression sits in and it floods his mind again, he's alone in his dark, dingy cell, which I don't even know if it's dark and dingy. I know some people get good cells. I hope he doesn't. But, you know, he's going to be looking for a treatment. And thankfully, he's locked up behind bars and he won't be able to take another innocent and unsuspecting victim. Thank God. But good luck to him in prison. Just kidding. I take that back. I don't mean it. It was more sarcasm. Okay. Um yeah have fun buddy how about that so maybe this time he'll be the victim okay prison's gonna like him and i wonder what his family thinks of him so that is all i have for you folks i hope you enjoyed the episode um i try to throw in some comic relief there just because these you know cases could be really difficult um you know i always want to respect the families and respect like this true case this true account um this was somebody's life and it still affects the lives of so many people so i hope um it's okay that i threw in some comic relief there um just because you know sometimes sometimes it gets really hard to talk about these things so anyway, if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening to the whole episode. Let me know what you think. Go leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. That's the best way to help me or Spotify. Otherwise, there are other ways that you can help me. Check out the bio in my um, Crime Ghoul on my Crime Ghoul Instagram. Um, you know, there's links in there that you can help me out. Otherwise, just listening and sharing with a friend is super helpful. And I just appreciate that you people listen to me talk for this long. Like, it's just amazing. And it's just always like it always makes me happy and honestly this is like one of my favorite things to do in the world is podcast I wish I had more time for it but keep sending me case suggestions I know a lot of you are asking for the Summer Wells case and like I'm trying to do it but there's just so much I have to dig through I will get to Summer Wells I promise but continue sending these case suggestions my way and um you know look out and see if your case is going to be covered So I hope you guys have been well since the last time we spoke. Um, I hope you are healthy and okay. And if you ever need um, someone to talk to, definitely just hit me up on one of these uh, social media accounts and let's talk. Even if you just want to talk true crime, if you want to talk about your puppy, if you want to talk about the wonderful garden you have growing in your backyard, whatever it is, definitely come talk to me. So thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Go have an amazing rest of your week and stay safe. Bye.